the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. It's time for a conversation about the things we share in common. Our common hopes, our common fears, our common struggles. Together, we'll wrestle with the questions that we all have about the issues that affect our lives. This is The Common Good. Now, here are your hosts, Brian Fromm and Ian Simpkins. Hey everyone, happy Monday. Welcome to The Common Good. My name is Ian Simkins along with Brian Fromm. You can find us on Facebook, The Common Good Radio Show, or 1160hope.com. Plus, all the shows are podcasted wherever you get your podcasts. And uh, Monday, the Monday, Mondays are hard for pastors in general, I think, but yes. never harder than the day after Easter, whether you had two or a thousand services or somewhere in between. It is just a it's an interesting day in it general is. isn't it oh totally and the, the day after the day after any sunday you and right. i were just joking that mondays we feel terribly inefficient <laughs> and uh like we also have to like uh it turns into counseling sessions about yeah right but easter is like that on on steroids right like it's just such a big deal and an awesome deal it's so fun but uh, Easter, Easter come. We're going to talk about this a little bit later, but Easter comes with its own trappings for pastors, and uh, and uh, it makes the day after Easter a pretty tiring one. That's a good. That's a good tease because I don't know that people, if you're not a pastor, maybe you you don't think about the the quote unquote yep. trappings of the day after, you know. And I think we feel that for holidays in general, and that's kind of what I want to talk a little bit, you know, a little bit later about some of the like forgotten days of Easter and the stuff that. Um, maybe there's not a lot of books written about, like, how do I deal with <laughs> the drop-off the day after, exactly. like, this big, massive gathering. But uh, you probably saw, if you were online at all yesterday, um, there were some tragic, catastrophic bombings in Sri Lanka yesterday. Mm-hmm. And uh, I feel like we keep having to tell these stories, and it's uh, it's numbing almost to je- to read one more devastating article and i don't know you were just saying before before we went live here that the the death toll is now up to over 300 is that right i think so i'm reading one spot here 290 another one i saw this morning was 307 and there's people missing and there's like 500 people in hospitals at various degrees so that death toll is only going to continue to rise and obviously it was done very strategically to coincide with easter in sri lanka and um but i was watching a lot of coverage of it this morning and man, it was, it's just, there's no other way to put it but tragic. And you and I, I think we have felt the need on this show to kind of highlight, um, especially, maybe it shouldn't be especially, but, but especially uh, things going on with brothers and sisters in Christ around the world. Because mm-hmm. a lot of times we, we have trouble even thinking about what's going on across our country, let alone around the world. And so when you read things like Sri Lanka, you can be like, where's that? Like, what? Yeah, right, right. But then you start understanding the devastation, and you realize that these people got killed, a lot of them, when they were just gathering for Easter worship to pray and to be with their families and to to celebrate, like, the way all of us did yesterday, hopefully, right. to celebrate the risen Lord, and, and that these terrorists— um, 
they used strategically that time, I know. Uh, that great celebration to do this. And then it was so coordinated. Like they ended up doing some stuff at like resorts where there would have been richer people and some other stuff that is just, you read it and, or you watch it on TV and, and you're, first of all, your heart should break, right? We mourn with those who mourn and it does kind of nail down the hope of why the hope of Easter is so important. Uh, what they were celebrating became a reality <laughs> in yeah. the blink of an eye. And then we're just reminded as, uh, as Christians, you know, in America that we have a responsibility yeah. to pray and to mourn and to understand what's going on across the globe for, for many of the people that we're going to spend eternity with. Well, and I had a, a strange, I felt juxtaposed yesterday because mm. I tend to be the mourning grieving guy. You are. We've talked about, right? Just yes. probably to a fault, right? Like everyone, stop what you're doing. Mm-hmm. Sackcloth and ashes. I'm I'm more that guy. You want to mourn harder and longer. For to a fault, <laughs> yes. probably. Um, but I also I read this tweet. Actually, I even shared it. Um, he's a he's a professor, Dustin Bang. He said um, in response to the bombings, he said, "Bomb our churches, drag us into the streets, ravage our homes, destroy our Bibles, crucify us." Jesus is still alive mm. and building his church, and all of hell can't stop him. Man, that's good news. It is, and yeah. so, but okay, so, but the tension for me, and I even shared it. So, just cards on the table. I liked that enough to share it. And I was like, man, what a message on Easter. That even if you do all of this to us, but I also felt what you were saying. Some of that strange disconnect. Like, mm. is it easier for me? And I'll just speak for myself to jump to resurrection victory yep. and do whatever you want to us because it wasn't done to my actual mm-hmm. family. Mm-hmm. Like, would I be a writing a tweet like that or b sharing a tweet like that? If this had been in my own backyard, if this had been at the yellow box, God right. forbid yesterday, right. I don't know that it would. So like part of what you're asking, I think is a really good, uh, timely, important question. How do we, okay. So if Ian grieves maybe too much or too often mm-hmm. or too hard, how do, how do we still, um, enter into that, but also with appropriate context and what, like what, how, how should our posture even look as a particular, cause I'm looking at images, honestly, and I looked at probably too many Yep, de- devastating. Like my wife and I were looking at them together and she's like, can you imagine like what must've happened seconds before that? Like you were just praying the way that we would here. I mean, it looks a little different. It sounds a little different, but what, what an unexpected heartbreaking, catastrophic, and maybe the most peaceful part of your day, the most horrific thing happens. Absolutely. And that's, that's a hard thing for me to like really reconcile with because I've never experienced anything even close to that. Yeah, it, there, it does feel a little detached to be able to just claim victory right, right away, even though that is the good news of the gospel. Like, I know, it is that's true. the tension. I My know. guess is, though, if the closer it would happen, the longer it would take for me to get to that point. Really? Right? Like if it happened in my church, I would not be Facebooking this morning about the victory we have in right, Christ. Right, right. I would be mourning probably just in despair. And that makes sense, but it is also, you know, I, it's also why this past weekend at our church, we talked about the need to sit in Good Friday before getting to Easter, because you've got to, you've got to understand the death of Jesus. Yeah. And, and I always say to our people, like, he actually died. Like, he actually right. felt that pain. Like, that was an actual thing. And it wasn't I actually, street theater. It wasn't yeah, a performance. He doesn't like just kind of glide through it all. That's why, you know, last week you read that thing you wrote about crucifixion. I read it in our Good Friday service oh, and just because I needed our people and myself to feel the gravity of what Jesus went through. Mm-hmm. And I guess, 
you know, to to take the timing of this to what went on in Sri Lanka yesterday, we even though we are a glow, you know, half a world away. Uh, to be honest with you, if you handed me a globe right now, I could not find Sri Lanka. Mm. Like you'd have to give me a lot more information. Right, and so that that is where it becomes out of sight, out of mind a little bit. But but much the same way we say we got to grieve through Good Friday to get to Easter, like we in some ways have to link into the grief here. Uh, and like you have always told us, mourn with the people. Those people are devastated yeah. right now. Yeah. Like I just read this story just a couple minutes ago that. Uh, the richest man in Denmark, uh, largest landowner in Scotland. He is a billionaire. Uh, he lost three of his four kids in this bombing. Oh, no kidding. And so there's there's something that preaches there, too, right, about all the money in the world and all this. But he wasn't there, but three of his four kids were there right. and lost them. And and what do you even – how do you even process that? What does that put your world – like, that just changes your world. It changes everything. It like, really does. That guy's got security all over the place, money everywhere. These people were just going to pray. They're just being there for Easter worship, and this happens. And so I do think – you guys might be out there going, man, what a downer way to start the show. On purpose. Yeah. Intentional. Absolutely. Because we want to claim the victory of Christ of Easter, but understand this broken world still does these things that, that are just horrific. And it, and it almost, and I wasn't really thinking this until you just responded with that, that I'm I'm picturing, you know, Jesus before the triumphal entry, mourning over the city. Yeah. Like the city with all its brokenness, with all the stuff that they're still not getting. Uh, and I wonder if in what in some ways when we, you know, we jump right to resurrection power and strength that there isn't still space for mourning and lament because there is still like deep dark evil and brokenness in our world and that we are easter people living in a good friday world right like and that that tension has to be i think always held in balance and i think uh well, let's keep talking about that then. Yeah. Let's come up next. Let's talk a little bit more about Easter in particular, maybe what we taught or experienced, maybe some cool stories, but also what does it look like to live in the resurrection right here and now mm-hmm. in the suburbs or in the city or wherever you're at. Uh, we're going to talk about that coming up next on The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life. Hey, friends. Welcome back to The Common Good. My name is Ian Simkins along with Brian Fromm. Find us on Facebook at the Common Good Radio Show or 1160hope.com. And we've been talking about Easter, Easter weekend. I I know that most of you know that it was just Easter, but I think it probably does hit pastors in a different way. And it, it probably also depends on the wiring of the pastor, mm-hmm. like an introvert, extrovert, maybe where you are in the Enneagram to uh, allude back to a previous segment. But I, I think that they're, uh, I don't know, it's a pretty interesting it's different than Christmas for a lot of reasons, yep. um, but I, I'm also really fascinated, Brian, in like, what was it like for you? Because this is my first Easter for us doing the show together. Yep. Like, what was it like at your church? What was your what was your overall vibe and experience? And like when you drove home at the end of a long weekend, like what was going through your brain? Yeah, it's it's uh, I love Easter. Uh, we started with Good Friday and that's a dark service and we take communion together uh, gave people opportunities to write down prayers. And, um, you know, I, I enjoy, in some ways I enjoy the good Friday service as much or more than the Easter service, really? but, uh, so that's good. And then Easter, uh, Easter has evolved for me a little bit as a pastor mm-hmm. in that in the beginning, when, especially when we first started our church, it was like, this has to be the Super Bowl. We got to blow yeah, everything right. out. We have to invite the entire community. We, and none <laughs> right, of that's bad. Right. right. Um, but I found myself putting so much pressure on our people about Easter that it kind of lost its purpose. Like, what is Easter oh, about? 
it was it became I remember a couple of years I remember being so fast so fixated on invite 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 uh-huh. we're going to send out a mailer here's your invites right that if I were a congregant I would have been like can we just enjoy Easter yeah. <laughs> can we just celebrate <laughs> yeah, right, Easter right and so I've kind of backed off the last couple of years we still there's still more people on the stage totally. and more of this but if you came into a service last week or or next week on a Sunday morning it doesn't look all that different than our Easter service it's still singing it's still is part of that an integrity issue? You're like, I don't want, I don't, I don't want you to come to an invite Sunday mm-hmm. and then it, and then decide you like it and then come the following Sunday and you're like, oh, this place looks totally different than the service you invited me to. Yeah, I would say for me, a little bit of it's that, like, you know, wanted to do, but also, you know, our church is, I don't know, you, we all, we all gauge numbers differently. But, yeah, right. But my church is, you know, on a given Sunday, not Easter Sunday, but on a given Sunday is. Adults and kids, three hundred people. Okay, and so you've only got so many horses who can pull things off, right? <laughs> and so, uh, and I'm down some staff right now too, mm. and so it's almost forced me to do this, which I I kind of enjoy too. And so, mm. I just got to the point where I was like, man, I don't want to kill my people on Easter. Yeah, like right. this is why am I asking so much of them? And I get, you know, your church probably functions differently. One reason because there's more people not just paid staff, but more people so that could get kind of spread out a little more. Um, But there is a little bit of it too, of like, you know what? I want to enjoy our people on Mm. Easter um, and knowing new people are going to come. That's okay. But not make the focus, the new people. And that's where I would guess that I I Mm. missed the first couple of years. It wasn't that I don't want new people there. It was that Easter became all about the new people. Mm. And I, I think subtly we were sending that message to our people going, Hey, the rest of the year you matter, but on Easter it's about. And I don't know. <laughs> I might put be, our best foot forward for those. So people. I might be overthinking it, but that's kind of how I felt. And so, you and I were joking too, a little bit off air, that that one of the struggles of Easter is like, there's a, it's for good reason. It's the same message. <laughs> it's the same message. <laughs> but I love getting up there to be able to proclaim the resurrection and read Paul's words to the Corinthians about where oh death is your victory, where oh death is your staying. Read P- Peter's words yesterday about. Because of the resurrection, we have a, a new birth into an eternal inheritance, an uh-huh. eternal hope. So uh, that's where I land land the plane, if you will. Just that's where I sit, and uh, and I, I usually open Easter message going like, "Hey, today's just a reminder." Oh, that's like, good. I actually talked about Notre Dame and going, you know, hmm. you and I talked about it last week, like people walking past it probably in the end for years. If they walked by it for years, they stopped noticing Notre Dame. That's right. Until it burned. Yeah, right, uh, right. Same thing with the World Trade Center or whatever else. Mm. And I think the gospel works that way for us. And Easter becomes a time to kind of shock the system and be like, hey, let's remember why this is such a celebration. Yeah, and so right. I loved it, man. I love Easter. And uh, yeah, how about you? Honestly, one of the first things that stood out to me was how amazing our volunteer teams are. Yeah. Because you kind of mentioned it. Like it's, it, I, I, I do think it sometimes feels like, oh, because. We're bigger. Our teams probably don't feel the strain, but I don't know that that's true. Because there's a lot more people. There's a lot more people. (laughs) Like, man, our volunteers are so incredible. Like, I kept hearing story after story of like not just serving for one service, but multiples, and then their family coming to the last one so they could celebrate together. And that's greeters, and that's parking lot, and we had you know, it's just I don't know. I just kind of stepped back. I got to step back a couple of times and just like really, really soak in like how. How much they do, and not just how much they do, but like the the posture and heart they yes. do it with. Like I just could not have been more. 
Is proud the right word? Proud is the right word. Like, it just was really like... I think proud's the right word. Yeah, I was like, this is the family gathering. I just felt really... I mean, it just felt really cool. And it's and, it, and everyone is, you know, I wore a tie. I never wore a tie. There you <laughs> go. Some of that stuff is, is sort of fun. Like, I have, you know, having kids now, I love the little kids and their Sunday. I actually am kind of a sucker for all that. But it, it was, you're right. It was this reminder of, man, there's plenty of people here that um, we might not see them again until Christmas yep. Eve. But yep. if for the 60 minutes they were here, they felt like loved and known and cared for in an authentic way and not just like, pitched yep. something yep. Uh, man i think i think that's a win and i and i i've heard stories over the years now we've been pastors for you know i've been a pastor for a decade and a yep. half yep. like there are people that like yeah i went strictly on easter for 12 years and then the lord broke my heart open yeah. i'm like okay if this is just one more little step one more little seed being planted i'm i'm honored and grateful to be a part of that in some that's really cool. bigger sense yeah and then we just had a family day like we didn't have, did you yeah we didn't go to family it was just us beautiful day outside Perfect. i will tell you uh, sometimes I think you and I, we like to use this show as some therapy, but also a window <laughs> for into better or for worse. I know also a window into who we are as pastors and this and that uh, I struggle on Easter afternoon with Facebook mm, Go on, because we have lots of pastor friends, right? You yeah. and I probably get followed and follow a lot of pastors and everybody's like, every post is like epic service today. <laughs> we baptized 74 people and, and you all of a sudden you start to feel like this, like, yeah. Oh, we started our church last year, and now we had four thousand people at Easter, <laughs> and this, and, that. and you know, it's a picture of the big stage and the baptisms, uh-huh. and it's all the lights, and you're just like, man, I feel really good about what we did today, but maybe I should. Oh, interesting. And it, that has everything to do with me, right? Like that has everything to do with uh, some of my own issues. But man, I, I actually by the by the end of the day yesterday, I was like, I think I'm going to stay off, off of Facebook for a little while today because it's just a weird. It's like a pastor bragging day. And uh, I would like to make, give most pastors the best of intentions there, right? Like they're doing it to to celebrate what God's doing in their church. But sometimes it's like, hey, look what we did on Easter. Hey, look what we did on Easter. And you're like. To feel like a little bit of a humble brag. Like a, a little bit. And you're like, oh, I don't know. Okay. Because God did cool things at our church. It was a great day yeah, of worship. Right, it right. was awesome. I loved it. There was nothing bad about our Easter service. But every now and then you come back and you read these other things and you're like, oh, I don't know. Was it epic? Was it epic? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's kind of to your point, though. Like, is is the goal ultimately for Easter Sunday to be epic yep. uh, or something else? On Which, Facebook, that's the goal. <laughs> <laughs> no, but like for you, like that's, you know, because I, yeah. I actually really am torn on this one because I've been in churches of all different shapes and sizes. So a lot of the, I mean, we have a lot of mutual friends. I imagine yep. some of those posts are people that we both know. Dudes and people and uh, like hearts that I know that I'm yeah. like, oh, yeah, I don't think he was saying that. To, I don't think she was posting that to be no doubt. But it can still feel like, oh, OK, is this is this the culmination of all the all the work? Is this really the point? And, right. you know, people saying yes to Jesus, like being baptized, like that kind of stuff, you could argue is a big part of the point. Yes. But it's all about how it's conveyed or how we uh, yeah. how we take that. I in, think right? it's more about me, to be honest with you. It's like, <laughs> you know, we always say that everything wrong about Facebook is like the comparison. Yeah, and right. Us pastors, we I almost said we're no different than everyone else. We might be worse than everybody yeah, else when it comes to are. comparison. And so uh, it was an interesting it was an interesting internal battle for me yesterday. And it happens every Easter and every Christmas because yeah. uh, there it, it just is. It's that comparison thing that is not healthy, but. Uh, but Easter, all in all, I loved it. I love my church. I love worshiping together. 
and uh, meeting new people, and ultimately he has risen, and everyone yells he has risen indeed, That's and right. I, just, I love that moment. Okay, so we've been talking a good deal about Easter specifically. Mm-hmm. I want to talk next a little bit about maybe some of the forgotten days of Easter. I love the it. stuff kind of before and after. How do we how do we live into Easter right now once all the lilies are gone and all the eggs have been found? Like, what does that look like to be an Easter people right here and now? That's coming up next on The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life. Hey, before we get rolling here, Brian was uh, was just singing for the rest of us, and I'd like I'd like you guys just get a taste of his singing voice. Why don't you bring, it, bring us home, Brian. You think I'm going to be too embarrassed to do this, don't you? No, not at all. I'm and so excited. Friends of friends forever. <laughs> yes, that's what I was rolling. I was singing to our producer. What a throwback! How old is that song? So it's, it's I don't know early eighties. Early eighties, really? Yeah, we haven't given out the text line yet, but someone should text us that if they know. <laughs> six eight six eight three. What year? Friends. Michael W. Smith. Go. Go. You know what? I actually, this is not at all what we're going to talk about. I'm pretty impressed, though, that he's not only still, like, touring, but, like, writing music. And I saw somebody uh, posted a clip recently. I was like, oh, Duke can still sing. Like, I don't know, man. That's uh, that guy's got state power. He's one of the legends. I picture him and Stephen Curtis Chapman being like, "Come at me, people! No one's topped this yet." <laughs> That's another dude. It's uh, crazy. Chapman will post these like little Facebook videos of him just riffing on ideas. Mm-hmm. That guy can play mm-hmm. too. And and I and I, ha- I have a couple of friends who have toured and played with him. They're like, he's also the real deal. Like he's just oh, a yeah, genuinely seem like it. I love that. And I've heard Michael W. Smith will come back to Wheaton because I believe his wife went there and. Everyone who comes in contact with them, and I don't know what we expect them to be, but um, I do. <laughs> uh, that's a good point. Every you've you've come across enough people in the in the business, as they say. But yeah, everyone that says he's the real deal too just comes through and uh, is an enjoyable experience. I really so, appreciate that. Um, yeah, you've probably got better stories than me. I remember when I was a youth pastor. I ran a uh, I ran a concert at Glenwood Bible Church for a band that was a complete no name band. Like yeah. it was like a small time. Like we were a, you know we weren't a small church, but we weren't looking to like fill. We're looking at like a hundred kids sure, or whatever. Right. And so I brought in like this band and I remember they sent me a contract and I was like, really? Like, oh boy. This is really big. <laughs> and then I started reading through the contract and it had some of the most ridiculous, like we have to eat this food at this time. Yeah. And I'm like, they're like, they called me like, we have a green room. I go, we have a bathroom in the <laughs> basement. <laughs> a green room. And I so love it. when you do hear of like the bigger name people who probably yeah. could be, uh, like that, not being like that, it's cool. It's it's it's, it's refreshing. Uh, yeah, it's encouraging. All right, hard right. Here we go. Hard uh, right. <laughs> <laughs> we should name the show t- that. Although that might have political connotations. <laughs> That's a good point. Packing Welcome up the dreams. God's planting. <laughs> go great, great singing segue there, Brian. So I mentioned earlier, I want to talk a little bit about some of the forgotten days of Holy Week because, yeah. uh, as you mentioned, and I like lamented that I called it the Super Bowl. Of Sundays, because I don't, I, yeah, whatever. It's, I called it the same thing until someone came up to me yesterday in church was like, the Super Bowl. And I was like, oh, okay. <laughs> they said it to you during the service? Not sure. Before it. Oh, okay, before that's fine. The service, so, yeah. so there's a couple of days in particular uh, that I think are easy to overlook in Holy Week. And uh, I, I had done some research for the last couple of years, like had people done extensive, you know, doctrinal theological writing. And yep. there was some stuff, but there was, I was actually pretty surprised to find how little there was about Holy Saturday, so the day between Good yep. Friday and Easter Sunday, and then today, Easter Monday. Yeah. And it was really uh, kind of fascinating to me, um, not only that there was such little information, but kind of the why behind it. And Saturday in particular, so we had mentioned, you know, kind of our love for Good Friday services because it is this, they tend to look much different in the local church context, but it is this sort of like 
grief, sorrow, lament. It yes. feels like a funeral. And then we, you know, we leave usually in a pretty somber silence. And then we have Easter Sunday. Yep. And we forget that the resurrection did not happen right. instantaneously. Right. There was this space of time where everyone treaded water. Like they just saw their friend executed shamefully. And then they went home. Like yeah. they went back to their jobs. Not all of them, but the pl- I mean, many of them are like, well, that's not how we anticipated that ending. Right. You, you just wonder what it, it, the struggle for us is that we're on the other side of the empty tomb. Totally. And so even if we figure out how to do a good job lamenting and sitting in Good Friday, then you jump to Easter Sunday. Right, right. But you forget that the disciples and the earliest followers of Jesus in the moment They had no idea. I mean, obviously they knew the words that Jesus said, I'm coming back. But think about that in that moment. And we, we were, we could guess pretty well that they weren't expecting it because when he does rise from the dead, they're surprised. Yes. Yes. They didn't see it coming. And so, um, yeah, I read reading it out of Luke yesterday. We read it in verse 12. Peter finally runs to the tomb and it just says, and he basically left wondering what had happened. Like these guys were, they didn't get it. And so, you know, for, That Saturday is one that I've always skipped over and Mm. just kind of run past. But to think about the uncertainty and the sadness that Saturday would have had and Mm -hmm. also just how normal a day it probably was. Like Friday, there was nothing normal about the week leading up, culminating in his crucifixion. Like that was an adrenaline rush and a lot of emotions. And then you wake up on Saturday and it's like, I'm picturing like Peter and those guys going, do we go fishing? Like, should like we go what fishing do we today? do? Totally. Did we waste our lives? Like, right. what has just happened? And I think there is so much power for us now as 21st century Christians mm. to sitting in the uncertainty of of Saturday because yes. so many of us like to pretend there's certainty in this world and there's just not. Well, and it's not quite the same, but I imagine the emotions aren't too dissimilar from, like, hearing a diagnosis of cancer mm-hmm. or saying, I want a divorce or we're going to have to let you go, yep. or she didn't. You know, you're sitting, Saturday is this time to, like, sit in grief and sorrow, which the longer that I'm a pastor, the more I realize, oh, that's where a lot of people are. Yes. Like, I had a woman come up to me yesterday, just cr- gave me this big bear hug, this woman that we've been praying for for a long time, uh, passed on Saturday. And and she was like, I'm here Easter Sunday, but my heart is really still wow. in the pain of Good Friday. Like, wow. it was just this really visceral, like, real life example of like, oh, she's like, I'm so glad to be here and this is my family. And yet there is still really this heaviness for me. That's Mm. very, very clear and present. And uh, I don't know. I think that more people live in this, this Holy Saturday space than we, than we often care to admit. Absolutely. And I think, so to juxtapose that with today, Holy Monday, Easter Monday, uh, is the day after this, you know, for a lot of us, what was this big, huge event? Yep. And like after, you know, like the following day after most big, huge events, there is this sort of weird letdown, like, oh, what, what do we, what do we do? And I, I wrote a, a post this morning about that because I think it's easy for us just to go back to business as usual, like, oh, we had a good, we had a good worship service, yep. we had a good time, and now it's time to got to preach drop, next week, right? Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah. Or not even just for us, like to yes. drive back to my nine to five Good and like yep. Easter is not just an event that we celebrate. It's a reality that we walk into that we yes. live this resurrected life. Like what does it mean to be a resurrected people? It's yes. not just to celebrate a day in the calendar once a year. And that's so easy to miss. I think once you've, you know, put <laughs> pun intended all your eggs in this basket <laughs> of Good celebrating one. this big day, it's like, okay, how do we continue then to yes. step into that? Just as people, as humans, as Christ followers, that can be so that can be so hard to do. Absolutely. And 
Yeah, there's always that letdown, whether it be because you've just been with family or as a pastor, you've just done these services or whatever. And yeah, I do think there's something powerful in obviously in the Friday and the Sunday of Easter week, but but then the Saturday and then the post Easter Monday, it's it's there's something there. I think that that I think a lot of us in America are not wired to sit in those and think about that and, and try to make those connections. Yeah, I, I think that I mean, the day after of anything yeah. is tough. Right. And uh, I think with like weddings in particular, you have a honeymoon. So yep. that that sort of helps like extended and Christmas. A lot of times you have family and from out of town. So you yep. kind of keep the Christmas, you know, and, and for a lot of people uh, and maybe rightfully so, you know, Christmas is the beginning of yes. a 12 day celebration. But Easter can feel like this. This big, like, what now moment, right? And I, and I wonder, like, after the resurrection, after Jesus is, like, showing his wounds, yes. did the disciples say, oh, that's pretty cool. I'm going to go back to fishing, though. Exactly. I doubt it. I really do. And I, and I, I for the first time, really, maybe ever, I want to, like, enter into the reality more fully of, like, okay, they didn't go back to business as usual, mm-hmm. but we seem so content with doing that in our own lives. Yes. Like, okay, thanks for the resurrection. Um... I'll see you when I die, I guess, right? Like, I think it, I just think it means so much more than that. And that is why I think gathering together, worshiping together, serving together, like that, those are, those are such important rhythms because it helps remind us and remind each other when we feel discouraged that God's not done with us yet. Like there's a reason that he didn't just suck us up into heaven, uh, the moment of salvation, like Mm -hmm. there's work to do. So let's get to work together. Yeah, and then Easter Sunday, can we celebrate the resurrection also next Sunday. Yeah, And the right. following Sunday. That's good. And the following Sunday. It's not just an Easter thing. In fact, the resurrection is, it is completely the foundation of our faith and why we gather, and we need to keep reminding each other of that each Sunday we get together. That's a great segue to what I want to talk about next, actually. Is a bodily resurrection important? Is it important to our faith? Is it important to the cosmos? Uh, There's one in particular who thinks otherwise, and uh, we're going to talk about that coming up next on The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life. Welcome back to The Common Good. My name is Ian Simpkins, alongside Brian. I'm not really alongside. We're not looking across at each other. It's funny because I've been thinking about how I say that. What I normally say is, Ian Simpkins along with Brian Fromm, and my dad texted me and goes, sometimes you're Brian Fromm? I was like, oh, I think linguistically he has a point. I mean, Simpkins <laughs> along with. I was like, shoot, am I? <laughs> am I just saying it grammatically off this whole time? It's very, I very always possible. confuse myself when I'm, when I'm introducing you. I'm like, Brian Fromm, here with... Ian Simpkins, like, <laughs> I always, like here, he's also here. Uh, so it's, now I begin going along alongside Ian Simpkins. I'm Brian. Like that feels like my sweet spot. Alongside, yeah. okay. Well, I, wanna, I got I got to come up with something different. Yeah, I guess if you could see us in our physical space right now, we're not actually next to each other. <laughs> Which is also another thing. My daughter today was like, "Dad, are you guys in like this really cool studio?" And she literally <laughs> she goes, "She goes, do they put makeup on you?" I go, "It's not television, you know." She goes, "I know," and I'm like, "So why would they put?" She's like, Dad, you're so unattractive that you even need makeup for radio. I just (laughs) like the idea of us wearing makeup, I think, was it. (laughs) I like your family a lot. (laughs) Even though you've never met them, actually. That's true. People might be... We need to rectify that here at some point. We really do. We got to get all of them in the studio at once. Yes. Have them meet on air. While we're talking, that That would be fun. That would be so chaotic. (laughs) We'll make it happen. Do you know what else we call that? 
What'd you call Our it? last day on radio. Yeah, <laughs> probably. <laughs> All right, man. So there's this uh, article in the New York Times, and uh, it circles around Serene Jones, who is the president of Union Theological Seminary in New York. And uh, it's accompanied by a tweet. I'll just read the tweet, mm-hmm. and then we get, get some of your reactions, because... Uh, also significant is that all of this kind of went live yesterday on Easter Sunday. So yes. she wrote, Happy Easter. You can believe in resurrection without believing in a bodily resurrection. Faith is more than adherence to rigid dogma. The truth about our lives, about our world, is God's love and grace will always have the final word. Rejoice. Thoughts? <laughs> you gave me the thoughts. <laughs> well, not only that, but this was also, Keem, her tweet, well, I think, was probably linking to an interview she did with Nicholas Kristof at the New York Times, which is just ironic that the New York Times is running this opinion thing on Easter morning. Yeah, right. And obviously we know why they're doing it, because it, it kind of, it's going to grab yeah. headlines. It clicks. Uh, but his first question to her is, Happy Easter, Reverend Jones. To start, do you think of Easter as a literal flesh and blood resurrection? I have problems with that. And that's kind of the way it goes. Uh, and I am just blown away. Maybe I shouldn't be blown away, hmm. but I'm just blown away that this is the president of a seminary. Uh, but now Union Seminary is very progressive. It's very liberal. Um, and so maybe we shouldn't be surprised by this. But she calls herself a Protestant minister, a president, an author of Call It Grace. Here's the deal, people, though. And we talked about this at our church yesterday. Uh, I'm not saying this. Ian's not saying this. The Bible says in my opinion, that Paul writes that apart from the resurrection, if there's no resurrection, then our faith is futile and we are to be pitied. And that you can't disconnect the two. Uh, There are a lot of theological issues that we can debate about and that you and I or me and someone else can disagree with and still call each other brother uh, and sister. Yeah. I don't think this is one of them. Mm. And that the, that the actual resurrection of Jesus, not the, not the, um, the fictitious resurrection or the uh, metaphoric, that's or... the word I was looking for, the metaphorical uh, resurrection, but that Jesus actually died and Jesus actually rose from the dead is at the heart of Christianity. It is at the foundation of Christianity. And therefore, I think I, I don't disagree with some things that she wants to say about Christianity, that it, right. that it needs to be loving and full of grace and all this. Totally. Stuff. She's just losing the actual moorings of of what Christianity is built upon. Ooh, moorings. Good I use of, like that. Good I, use of I, moorings. I, I got to be honest. When I said it, I wasn't sure that I used it correctly. <laughs> I'm still not even sure. <laughs> but I want to affirm you either way. Yep. Yeah. First Corinthians 15, right? If Christ is not risen, then our preaching is empty and your faith is also empty. Yes. And we... Uh, are found false witnesses of God because we have testified of God that he raised up Christ whom he did not raise up if, in fact, the dead do not rise. And, again, this isn't just somebody somewhere tweeting this. This is the president of a seminary. And I, again, I'm totally, uh, just as a quick aside, there have been some people uh, who ultimately I agree with their theological position who have been publicly brutal to this woman. And I do sometimes cringe a little bit like, oh, man, can't you just state your position or why you find this to be offensive? Like it's, there's a lot of stuff that gets really personal and really ugly. And that for me is always this weird tension. Like, ugh, I agree with your conclusion, but your methodology is so despicable. Like how you got to that conclusion or how you're implementing it now just feels so unhelpful. And, and honestly, in so many ways, I think why people who uh, have left the church are like, that's why I left because you guys are really mean to each other. But, uh, to your point, I think it is really significant um, that we talk about topics like this because this is a big one. And mm-hmm. I was just talking with somebody yesterday about how little 
we as Protestants in particular uh, talk about a theology of the body. Mm. We really don't. In fact, if you Google theology of the body, you'll find a lot of Pope John Paul II. Okay. Um, but there's very, very little Protestant thought, like rich theological doctrinal work. And I think a lot of this is connected. And mm. there's a lot of other implications. Personally, yep. I think that when you do away with the physical resurrection of Jesus Christ, there's a th- that leads to a couple of other really problematic places right. for me. So it's it's... It's more than just this did or didn't happen, yep. which is a biggie, obviously. <laughs> yes. I agree with everything that you just said. Like, that is the thing. Yep. <laughs> the resurrection of Jesus, that is, I mean, you're just a couple of short steps away from moralizing a moralistic therapeutic deism, yes. I think, if we're not if, if we're not really careful. If it's just and, about um, the stories and the lessons totally. and the feeling good, yes. But it also does go beyond just that, because I think that we've done a pretty poor job in the West as Protestants. Again, I think our I think our uh, our Orthodox and our Catholic brothers and sisters have done a much better job helping talk about and frame and give handles to, okay, so why does the body matter? Does it mm. matter? If it doesn't, then why are we still here? Why not at the point of salvation we just get sucked up to heaven? If yep. that's the whole goal, it doesn't make any sense for us to still be here. Yep. Um, then quite bluntly, I mean, things like, Sex doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. Procreation doesn't matter. Like the, these things that I think are really significant and deeply spiritual. Yes. And uh, it does bum me out that particularly in Protestant thought, we've done so little work to actually get, gain a better understanding of the body. Yeah. And that eternity is described in the Bible as getting new bodies. Yeah. Right. <laughs> like it's right. not, we, you know, we do our kids and ourselves a disservice when it's like, oh, yeah, no, we're going to be these spirits just up on, you know, floating around. Uh-huh. Uh, that is also not true. And you know what? She's. Like you said, I think you made a good point that it is disturbing how some people have treated her tweet to like, yes, we're going it, to, it's just like how our politics work, how our sports, work, it's how it all works, but uh, disappointing nonetheless. But uh, for me, the, that first Corinthians 15 passage that you read is so important to this because mm-hmm. it says, Paul literally says that without the resurrection of Jesus, your faith is futile. And he uses the word you're to be pitied. You're to be pitied yeah, right. because you're blaspheming God and you're also just wasting your time. Mm. And so that's enough for me to be like, okay, this is a big deal. Uh, and when people say that, you know what, that the foundation of our faith is X, Y, or Z, you know what, the foundation of the faith is the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. Right. Uh, and so for her as a president of a seminary to be calling that into question, and the next question he asks her is basically about the crucifixion. And she goes, oh, I don't believe that that, ha- that God orchestrated that it's her words right uh, but that that just you know just happened it just, just so like, happened oh, right, right here right. we go you're losing so much of what uh christianity has always been and always will be so what so what is the solution there i, I mean it's i know we don't have a lot of time left but like how how do you go after someone someone's thought process that i think can be so devastatingly catastrophic to what we've given our lives to it, are we going to see more of this i guess maybe is my question is, i think we are and you could really go, kind of chase your tail by going after this. But mm. what you, I think as pastors, as dads, as everything, what we've got to say is that doctrine matters, theology uh-huh. matters. And so for the people close to us, like people in our church, we need to be teaching them as to why this is wrong. That's good. Our kids, we need to be teaching them. We can't, we're never going to get to Serene Jones, right? right like, right. although maybe, maybe someday this, this empire of a radio station will, you know, go that way. I'm you hear that, Josh? Let's empire. get her. <laughs> Uh, but I can teach my kids. I can teach my church. I can talk about these things. And I think that we need to remember that theology and doctrine matter. That's good. uh, And therefore need to be imparting it onto people who might, 
who might be swayed by somebody who's very smart like this. That, that's a good reminder, man. Well, coming up next, Franklin Graham and Mayor Pete Buttigieg. They are going to be the source of our conversation. I'm going to tease that out and give very little information, but I want to talk about (laughs) some of what they've been in the news for in the last couple of weeks. That's coming up next on The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope you're there. It's time for a conversation about the things we share in common. Our common hopes, our common fears, our common struggles. Together, we'll wrestle with the questions that we all have about the issues that affect our lives. This is The Common Good. Now, here are your hosts, Brian Fromm and Ian Simpkins. Hi, friends. Welcome back to The Common Good. My name is Ian Simpkins. There's another guy also here. I'm here. His name is Brian Fromm. I've never, now I'm really self-conscious about how I say <laughs> your dad that, that you're your <laughs> My dad used to do stuff like that all the time. When we were kids, like I remember one specifically, we'd, be, we'd say, um, we didn't call him dad. We called him uh, Papa or Pops. But Pops, can you make me a sandwich? And he'd go, poof, you're a sandwich. That's on the commercial now. What? You, there's a commercial going on right now. Your dad it was like a forerunner. Have you not seen this commercial no, going around? Are you being serious? Yes, there's a commercial where this <laughs> couple goes to like a, a neighborhood party and they realize that all the men are acting like they're dads. And uh, the guy goes up and goes, can you make me a hot dog? And they all go, poof, you're a hot dog. No. <laughs> yes. Well, it took me so long to learn it. So we, we'd, I'd like approach him and say, Pops, can you make me a sandwich? You go, poof, you're a sandwich. I'm like, no, no, no. Can you make me a sandwich? And you go, poof, you're you're a sandwich, and I I would finally get. It. I go, oh, uh, can you make a sandwich for me? And he goes, ah, there you go. No. <laughs> I also appreciate this is that as I get older and my kids get older, I am like exponentially growing in my uh, frequency of dad jokes. Yes, like I never really knew that that was a thing, and now it's like I realize it, and I'm like, nope, gonna say another one. See, and for me, I've been saying them since I was 14. Yep. So like when we finally had kids, people are like, oh, now your life stage actually matches your humor. Way to go, Ian. <laughs> we should rename the show. Uh, dad, dad jokes. jokes. <laughs> <laughs> Can we do? We should have a segment called Dad Jokes. That's not a good idea. That'd Even be... though I said it out loud, I'm hearing it now. If you would like to text us your <laughs> dad jokes, <laughs> I don't think that's a good idea either. All right, you. So you came across this post from uh, Reverend Franklin Graham. Is I he didn't. a reverend? He is. He is a reverend. Okay, yep. Reverend Franklin Graham, and he uh, he made some comments, said some things. Why don't you first fill us in <laughs> onto what he actually said, and then we'll kind of get into the weeds a little bit. So, frankly, Graham, uh, on his Facebook page, was commenting on what's been going on with Mayor Pete Buttigieg. So, you and I talked about Buttigieg last week. Uh, He is the mayor of South Bend, Indiana. He is declared to run uh, in the Democratic primary for president of the United States. And uh, he is kind of gaining some steam. So, two months ago, maybe he was polling at 0% in Iowa. And the last time they did the poll, he was up to 11%. Wow. Raising money. So, still not the front runner. But uh, make he's got some momentum. You, this always happens in presidential elections. Some people start really strong, and you can see their momentum go away. Hmm. And other people, it seems like the, the wind is in their sail, and they're kind of moving along. And Buttigieg kind of feels that way, so he's getting a little more scrutiny, a little more notoriety. What uh, The other thing that makes Mayor Pete Buttigieg uh, not just 
unique in this election cycle, but a, um, a lightning rod is that he is not just a gay man. He's a married gay man. Right. Uh, and so uh, we have never, uh, to the highest office, obviously, we've never had a known married gay man. Uh, and so he is getting a lot from either side. Some people are championing him like this is everything good about our country that a married gay man could be doing well in a presidential election. And, you know, people are using that as their soapbox and the soapbox is being used on the other side as well. Uh, we can't, this is everything wrong with our country where it's heading right now. Um, and so uh, Buttigieg at his speaking engagements has been getting heckled a lot. And so protester, there was a protester last week and this is what Franklin Graham's responding to. Uh, shouted Sodom and Gomorrah over and over time at him. And then someone else uh, yelled at him, the condition of your soul is in God's hands. Somebody else was yelling at him, God won't be mocked. Okay, so the people are kind of getting on him, and it's kind of uh, his places are being somewhat tense. Uh, and so Franklin Graham stepped into this the other day and kind of uh, gave his two cents. Uh, he says, I don't agree with heckling anyone. I think we should be respectful. I'm for that. Yeah. Uh, you know, this heckling, you know, either side, I think, is not a good idea. It's not uh, classy. Exactly. He said, in response, Graham wrote, Buttigieg made the comment, the condition of my soul is in the hands of God. Mayor Buttigieg is exactly right. His soul is in the hands of God. So is everyone's. Okay. We're doing okay so far. He also says that he's a Christian and wants to become the first openly gay president in America's history. What's wrong with that picture? Uh, And then he goes on to say, Graham goes on to say, being a Christian isn't about the church membership that you have. It's a faith in God and his word that transform lives and more like the one that we follow, Jesus Christ. And he said, Jesus loves me. If you love me, Jesus said, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. And then Graham says, the Bible makes it very clear that homosexuality is a sin, that if a man lies with a male as with a woman, both of them have committed an abomination. That's what God says, Graham says, and that settles it for me. I stand with the word of God. I care enough about people to tell them the truth and to warn them about the judgment to come for all sin. And so you can imagine, Franklin Graham has uh, almost 8 million Facebook followers. Okay, oh, wow. So you can imagine what happened to this post. There's now articles being written about it, and uh, it's, it's caught fire a little bit. Um, and so that's kind of the background of it. And as I read it, I was like, man, I, I'm wrestling with this because uh, theologically, cards on the table, uh, I would not often say things the way Franklin Graham does, but I tend to agree with some of the stuff or most of the things that he has said here. Uh, now, he does use this verse out of Leviticus about it being abomination, and it then says dot, dot, dot. And the rest <laughs> of that verse talks about killing homosexuals, and I don't think Franklin Graham would would aspire to that. So my point being, there needs to be some hermeneutics and some nuance here. Uh, you're finding this funny. Damn. But, um, yeah, so his theology is one hand— where I'm going to have a problem with Franklin Graham, can I just be honest here, is uh, I'm scrolling back through his Facebook post and don't find the same writings about adultery, hmm. about lying, about, um, you know, fornication, about greed. Uh, and so there, there feels like Franklin Graham and others uh, are kind of giving this hierarchy here that I think is dangerous because... They have, I'm just just be honest, Franklin Graham has excused 
uh, in his support for even President Trump. Trump's oh, candidacy. Here he goes. Well, even just his candidacy. Mm. He didn't come out with a similar post like this. Franklin Graham did not say, God will not be mocked. And the Bible says this about adultery and about divorce and about uh, whatever else, greed, whatever else, lying, uh, mocking other people. He didn't say this while this was going on. So it just feels cherry picking to me to now come out and go, well, I'm going to make this post about this guy. It feels even if he believes it, it it comes across as, well, you just don't like his politics. So Mm -hmm. now you're going there, whereas you like the other guy's politics and you didn't go after him. So for you, you think it's, it's, it's more of a, um, it's not just proof texting. It is, uh, this is the fruit of a much, this is the front, this is the visual part, but the motives and intent for him is is a lot more complex. Maybe. Yeah. It feels that way. It feels like a way to use the Bible as a weapon to say, yeah, I'm going to go after this guy. And there's a more nuanced conversation here. And to be honest with you, again, uh, if Mayor Pete was in here and asked what I thought about homosexuality, he probably wouldn't be happy with me. If he mm. asked what I thought about gay marriage, he probably wouldn't be happy with me. Mm. This just feels different. I, I This is, all goes back to what you and I talked about last week about uh, the people taking strong political stands and the hypocrisy that feels like it comes with it that, quite frankly, Donald Trump's presidency and his and his candidacy have kind of put a spotlight on. Hmm. Because the people who are taking the moralistic stands against Bill Clinton back in the 90s or, you know, Pete Buttigieg here or whoever else were not willing to make those same – many of them, not not broad brush here, but many of them – we're not willing to make even remotely the same claims when Donald Trump was running for president. And that's why it feels very political and much less theological and moral for me. Yeah. Well, and, and we don't have a lot of time left, but I think there's a couple of things about his post that I would at least want to poke back at a bit. He talks about, you know, he quotes Jesus in John 14. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. None of the commandments that Jesus is specifically referencing here have to do with homosexuality. Mm-hmm. So, you know, maybe uh, strike one there. Leviticus, as you mentioned, you know, the chapters before and after that are talking about uh, beards and tattoos. Like there's, <laughs> you know, there's a lot in context there. But honestly, I think the general posture and sentiment that I, I struggle with as a pastor and as someone who loves the Bible and loves the church, when he says things like, uh, I stand with the word of God, mm-hmm. as if anyone who disagrees with me exactly. isn't standing with the word of God. It's that kind of like easily reductionistic, like broad strokes. So the Bible says it, that settles it. Like to me is, my, is such an unhelpful and dishonoring yes. way to approach scripture because I read it and it's obvious to me. So any other descending opinion couldn't possibly be following the word of God or following God at all. And if you were going to be that reductionistic about it and that black and white about it, then the then there's no reason there shouldn't have been a post yeah, about right. any list of other politicians uh, and they're just not there. And so that calls into question motives. That's a good point, man. I think maybe a broader discussion for another time about how we actually approach Scripture, particularly mm-hmm. when we disagree. That actually could be a lot of fun. We're not going to talk about that coming up next, yep. though. What is coming up next is Dallas Jenkins is in studio. Dallas Jenkins, director of The Chosen. We're going to talk about uh, some media news and the stuff that's kind of swirling around in our heads and brains. And uh, that's coming up next on The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life. Hey, friends, welcome back to The Common Good. My name is Ian Simkins, along with Brian Fromm, a show about entering into the mess and the gray and the tense, the stuff that doesn't have uh, easy answers all the time, and we'd love to hear from you. You can find us on Facebook at The Common Good Radio Show or 1160hope.com. 
And we're excited to again have in the studio. Are we officially calling it Media Mondays, by Whoa, the way? Oh, yeah. Have we signed off on that title yet? Why wouldn't we when it's so <laughs> I know. brilliant? I mean, no. So unexpected. Think about the money we would have had to pay consultants and stuff to come oh, up with Media that's Monday. That's a good way to think about it. <laughs> well, that third voice you're hearing is Dallas Jenkins, not only the director of The Chosen, but also a back and neck expert and is uh, helping me through a painful day right now. So You're actually already turning to look at me a little bit I easier am. than you were earlier. I'm very impressed. When are you opening your practice? So, uh, I'll be sure to plug that as soon as you possibly can. <laughs> Well, and if you were with us last week, uh, we were talking a lot about The Chosen and uh, how it had sort of blown out of the water the previous crowdfunded record by almost double, right? Which that in and of itself is fantastic. And uh, so it's sort of been rolling out this last week. And I'd love to just know how has it been? What's been the buzz? What's been the feedback that you're getting? Like, I'm sure you have stories of people who are experiencing it for the first time. And yeah, yeah, we. It, it, op- it released on Tuesday. It's a show you can get online. It's not, there wasn't a big TV network that right. put up the money for this, and then you can find it on TV. It, it's not a big movie studio where you can find it in theaters. This is a multi season show that launched on the web. Mm-hmm. So it's on www.thechosen.tv. And uh, yeah, we released it along with the trailer on Tuesday so people could watch the trailer and then just immediately go find it as That's opposed so to smart. waiting for it. That's so smart. Um, so yeah, it's been really cool. I have been, um, quite frankly, overwhelmed by the response. Uh, it's my wife once or twice a day and I are crying from some feedback mm, we're getting from no people. No kidding. Because well, the cool thing is, is that uh, believers are seeing it and uh, I think it's unique. I mean, I think they're seeing it in a, a Jesus in a way that they've never seen before. But yet it's coming from a person like myself who loves the Bible and believes it's true and right. isn't trying to, to change things up. And uh, <laughs> so there's lots of backstory, lots of historical and biblical context that we've added to the stories of Scripture. Mm-hmm. But they're all rooted in the intention of Scripture. And then when we get to Scripture, we don't change anything. So uh, we've just been, I mean, people just, honestly, we've heard, I've heard no less than 100 times from people who've watched all four episodes several times. Wow. already in a week. No kidding. Um, and I'm genuinely saying that not because I want you to not take yep. my word for it. I'm the director of it. Obviously, I'm a little biased. <laughs> right. But this is just the feedback we're getting is people watching it repeatedly. Um, uh, you know, it's, it's going to be a multi-season show. So we had time mm. to build and dig into the characters. Right. So you can get to know Simon. You can get to know Nicodemus. You can get to know Matthew, the tax collector, so that when they encounter Jesus, it's that much more powerful. And then last night, I got this text from a friend of mine in Los Angeles who had a screening party for a bunch of non-believers. Oh, awesome! Uh, and he's he's a he's my co-writer on the show, and he's he, I mean he's a believer in God, but he's not an evangelical. Mm-hmm. He's uh, he's an AA, so he had a bunch of people who have you know who are now sober who were with him and hmm. cynical Hollywood industry types. Mm-hmm. And he sent me this long text about. Um, how they responded to it and how blown away they were and how much they loved it. And then the last thing he said was that that blew us away, which I don't even think he knew how much it would mean to me, hmm. is he said, man, half a dozen of these people went home and opened their Bibles for the first time wow. since confirmation, including my wife. No kidding. And I just, I mean, it really is, um, it's been, it's really been unlike anything I've experienced in my 20 years in the business. And so, um, yeah, it's it's very humbling and it's uh, it shows, it, it, I don't know, I feel a tremendous weight to, to keep getting it right. Yeah, right. People are literally saying my worship this weekend was more in-depth or my Bible reading was more in-depth because wow. of the show. And so uh, that instead of making it make me feel, uh, you know, 
good about myself, it makes me feel uh, very scared. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, oh my gosh, I really have a lot of responsibility now to keep going and get this right. So Probably a good really kind fun. of scared though, right? The kind of scared that like keeps you on your toes a little bit, keeps you maybe curious oh, yeah. and adventurous and all of that, oh, right? Oh yeah. Well, it's, that's been the story of this whole show mm. um, is, you know, it came out of a career failure. My last mm. feature mm-hmm. film bombed at the box office. I was left with a, an uncertain future. And uh, so the story of this show has been my job is not to feed the 5,000. It's only to provide the loaves and fish. Mm. My job is only to make sure that those loaves and fish are as healthy and as good as they can possibly be. And uh, so I genuinely am in a place in my life for the last two years that I've never been in uh, where I genuinely don't care uh, what others think. I genuinely don't care what the mm. results are. I just want to obey. And, uh, and that puts me in a very trusting place yeah, no which kidding. is the best place that i've been so. that's awesome yeah, yeah yeah and why do you think people are resonating so much like it's it's awesome that they are is it that you know they have never had a context for these stories of scripture they could never put like a name to a face and kind of see it what is it do you think huh. that's resonating so much with people right now well when you think of all the jesus movies and miniseries that you've ever seen i've seen all of them <laughs> um, <laughs> the, the main character is always Jesus, mm-hmm. and this is a really horrible, controversial thing to say, but Jesus doesn't make for a great main character in yeah. the drama because he's perfect and he's sinless. So mm-hmm. relatability is tough relatability to manage, Relatability is right? tough. Uh, character arc is tough. It's not like mm-hmm. he goes from someone who has a lot to learn to oh, someone interesting. who you know, finds yeah. himself at the end. <laughs> right, he gets right. the girl that he couldn't. <laughs> right. I mean, none of this stuff uh, makes for, you know, he's just, true. A, he's just this perfect guy who goes from miracle to miracle Bible verse to Bible verse, mm. story to story, and you can't connect with the characters that he's impacting because they just become kind of faces in the crowd who all tend to look the same. Mm. The disciples, for example, uh, someone said this the other day, uh, in most Jesus projects, the disciples, there's usually three of them. There's uh, Simon, mm. Judas, and then ten, the other 10 who all look and talk the other well, same. <laughs> um, they wearing the same outfit. Right. Right. So That's you see funny. Simon because Simon shows up the most, um, and you see Judas because he's the bad guy. And then the right. other ones are all the same. And so we're, we're giving personalities and characters, characterizations to these people um, that I think is unique. Hmm. Um, and I think, you know, again, Johnny Erickson Tata, I don't know if I've mentioned this before, but Johnny Erickson Tata, who's been a longtime author and speaker, she said, uh, thank you for telling the old, old story in an impossibly fresh way. Oh. And that's one of the best responses I've ever gotten in my life. Yeah, um, no kidding. Because, again, I've, I've been a believer my whole life. I've heard right. these stories yeah. hundreds of times. Right. And uh, we're not rewriting them, but we are filling in some of the gaps. We're adding some of the historical biblical context um, that I think brings fresh life to it. And mm. so, uh, again, it, you know, if you can see Jesus through the eyes of those who actually met him, you can be yeah. impacted in the same way that they were. So here's here's what I'm curious about then, because I'm I'm uh, I'm like a faux writer. I'm like an imposter. I don't really write, but I, <laughs> I wrote a bunch this last week for Holy Week, uh, just sort of diving into the day and tried to add some context, some color commentary, wanting to be theologically accurate, but also mm-hmm. like, oh, let's, what if we filled in some blanks here? It was mm-hmm. sort of an exercise for me. And there were a couple of times where I just started writing and was legitimately surprised where it went. That sounds yeah. a little ethereal, but like no. I once I was done with it, I was like, oh, I didn't think I was going to go there with that. Ha- have you found any of that in diving into these stories where you've had to add some context? Have you been surprised at all by like where it, Sort of you, took have, you? you have no idea. Really? Mm. Um, honestly, it's been truly, and I say this because what I'm about to say, I say this again out of genuine humility. Mm. Uh, episode three of the first four episodes, for example, is just an episode of Jesus camping out 
in the middle of nowhere before he launches his ministry and a group of kids come across him and they're not sure if he's a criminal. They don't know mm. if he's a man on the run. They, and so he ends up, they end up kind of talking to him. And, and over the course of this episode, you get to see Jesus not only interacting with these children, but also you get to see him in his private moments, uh, you know, making food, addressing a wound, stretching before bed, give, doing his wow. bedtime prayers, mm. um, getting, building things because he's going to sell them uh, for, for his food. Uh, I wrote that episode in two days and it didn't wow. really get rewritten much at all. Um, that's unheard of. And the reason is, is because it was just coming, it was flowing. Yeah. And uh, God was clearly, you know, inspiring the mm. words uh, w- without question. Because I mean, I'm I'm not that fast at all. I'm not even that good of a screenwriter. My <laughs> co-writers are much better than I am. I'm usually more of a rewriter. Mm. And this just came out. And th- that happened over and over again. And then the one time where I was writing about a character where it wasn't feeling as good, the people who were giving feedback all responded the same, meaning they all had the same notes Mm. about a specific character. And it was very clear to me, God's not going to let us screw this up. Like, Mm. like, like when I didn't get it right or I wasn't quite, God spoke through those in my circle who are reading the scripts and said, well, this doesn't feel right. This doesn't. And so that felt really good is to know that I'm not in my own hands on this one yeah, because no I, kidding. Don't, I don't want to be. I'm not that good. That's got to <laughs> be like a whole other like level of gravity and weight like as you continue to write because you talk about this being a, a journey yeah. where it's not just Jesus as this one-dimensional, like, yeah, he was born and then he died and now we all get to go to heaven. Like, I imagine this is just the beginning for what's going to be a collective journey for you and your crew. Oh, sure. Like, yeah. As you dive into this. Yeah, this should be seven, eight seasons. Hopefully that's the, that's the goal. Yeah, that's and so we've got a lot of ground to cover and a, and, a, and a lot of unique things to come up with. And God help us, literally, if we uh, if we try to stray from what the intentions of yeah. who he was and who his followers were, I want to get those stories right. That's yeah. really good, man. We've been listening to Dallas Jenkins, director of The Chosen. You can learn more at thechosen.tv. The first four episodes are available. He's going to stick around for the next segment. We're going to talk about social media, maybe a little field of dreams, and uh, <laughs> maybe we'll yeah. even get Avengers and Game of Thrones in there. We'll see where the conversation <laughs> takes us. Just see where yeah. Media Mondays go. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. This is Media Mondays on The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life. Hi, friends. Welcome back to The Common Good. My name is Ian Simpkins, along with Brian Fromm, and we are now running for the second consecutive week, Media Mondays. I think that name is stuck. We've said it at least four times now, so that's basically law, and we're calling it that because in the studio, we have the one and only Dallas Jenkins, director of The Chosen. You can learn more at thechosen.tv. You can actually watch it. You can watch it. (laughs) You can watch it. What did I say? (laughs) You said learn more, which no one one gives a rip about. People are like, boring. (laughs) I really want to learn. I got to learn. (laughs) Are you bored with your level of learning? Then go to thechosen.tv. That's right. You can watch the first four episodes. Yeah, Yeah. first one is free. Couldn't make make them all free, unfortunately. And one of the next ones rolling out. Uh, I'm writing them now uh, with my co-writers. And you really are. That's amazing. Yeah, we're going to be uh, shooting the next four this summer and hopefully out by the end of the year. Awesome. Wow. So last time you were here, last week, I kept giving out your Twitter address, your Twitter handle for people to go to. And you very nicely said afterwards, hey, I'm not on Twitter anymore. And so we said, well, let's dive into that next week. And really would love to hear why you're off Twitter, especially as this project's coming out. Right. And uh, and maybe we can get into a bigger discussion about Twitter and Facebook and all that it's adding or not adding to our world. <laughs> right. but, uh, but why aren't you on Twitter anymore? Yeah, it's a double-edged sword because uh, tw- Facebook has been a huge driver of the show. I mean, our trailer yeah, right. we put on Facebook, and, and we've gotten all our great response from there. Uh, Twitter is a little different. Um, so Twitter, we, this is a much longer story, as you guys yeah. know. It's been covered in the Chicago area. Uh, I was heavily involved in the Harvest Bible Chapel situation uh-huh. in James McDonald. And um, so... 
it got the, the Twitterverse uh, got wind of my involvement. And mm-hmm. uh, long story short, there were things uh, said about me uh, that were extremely, I mean, name calling and, and uh, vulgarity and, and accusations. And, and, and then the Jeez. biggest thing was just outright things that weren't true. I mean, yeah. just outright falsehoods. Now, I personally don't care. I genuinely don't. I actually thought it was kind of funny. <laughs> like, really, it really was like entertaining reading for me huh. um, just because it was just, I just found it intriguing. And I, it didn't bother <laughs> me personally. My wife, not so much. Yeah. Uh, my yes. kids, not so much. Yep. And then what we realized was, um, and my 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 partners with the show, especially, mm. um, you know, you do a search for Dallas Jenkins, uh, you know, about the chosen and, you know, up on Twitter, you see tags and, and you're mm. seeing these things about me that simply aren't true. Now, I don't mind if things are true on Twitter and I don't mind criticism and all that stuff is fine. But uh, people were saying things that simply weren't true, in, including mm. about the show. Like this oh, really? weird rumor got out that that some of the leaders from the church were actually producers on the show now. And it's because of an old. The, the the short film I originally did was done when I was at the church. And so, mm. and then people were like, Oh, uh, partners with all these bad people. And, and it just simply wasn't true. And then there's Gosh. nothing you can say. Yeah. Right. Like, it's out there. You, you right? can't delete it because it's Twitter and people can say it anonymously. And so from the an- mm. anonymity of Twitter, people can just say whatever they want. Mm. And whereas on Facebook, it's a little bit more controlled because it's not as anonymous. Interesting. And again, on your page, if someone says something that's untrue or vulgar or whatever, you can just delete it. Um, whereas on Twitter, you can't do that. Yeah, right. So it just became so toxic. And mm. uh, as someone who loves the church, as someone who loves even the people who were involved in the Harvest Bible Chapel situation, um, and then for my own self, uh, I mean, you guys have experienced this. You're pastors. You know how social media works. Yeah. You know yeah. how, how people can talk. And once they say something that they're really sure about, even if they're proven wrong, they don't want to take it back. Yeah, right. And so. And the, the more I would try to correct the record, the mm. more you're just accused of, you know, being, being fenced, defensive, yeah. whatever it is. You just can't win. And uh, the people have no need to be rational because they're, <laughs> an, you know, an anonymous anyway. And I yep. think there's a certain personality type that causes you to want to go to Twitter to be anonymous, mm. I guess, or or even if you do use your name and to say things um, so recklessly without any accountability. And so ultimately, um, the, the pros just didn't outweigh the cons mm. for Twitter. Um, and so I, I, I got off uh, of Twitter, which is wasn't easy for me because again I do like to talk, I do like to share, yes, I do like to right, engage. Right. Um, and uh, but Twitter is not good for uh, genuine, deeper engagement. So uh, yeah. Facebook is way more. Again, there's not a limit on characters right, for Facebook. Right. And so, like real quick, for example, when we posted the trailer, which has now g- done really well for the show, um, I actually wrote something uh, a bit of a long form essay. It wasn't just like, check out the trailer, yeah. yeah, hope you love it, blah, blah, blah. There was like six, seven, eight paragraphs. And wow. it actually, when we were testing captions for the trailer, that tested as well or better than anything else we were doing. Really? Wow. And again, I think it just, people, I think the kind of audience we want, the kind of audience mm. that I do well with is a little bit more engaged on a longer, deeper level. And so uh, I think I think Twitter is just not my wheelhouse. It's gotcha. not that. But I imagine like walking away from that would have been really difficult because you're in the business of having to promote, right? Like sure. that's a that's a massive platform. You had a pretty big audience there. So like walk away from that in some people's minds might be like, well, you're walking away from dollars, man. You're walking away from exposure. You yeah, know, the, I just didn't care. I, I, <laughs> I genuinely didn't. I appreciate it. It was, really, it was as much for my wife as anything because, really? again, my, I, have, I have four kids. And, and uh, so when someone comes on Twitter and says, 
uh, talks about how abusive Dallas Jenkins is and yeah. how uh, and ta- 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 started talking about gambling and private dens at the church and all these things that were based on these ridiculous rumors. Mm. Uh, and you can't do anything about it. Right. Um, again, they're still going to say it. I just they just can't tag me on it anymore. Yeah, right. And so when people are doing a search, and again, like I said, I don't personally care, mm-hmm. but but you know, my family, I have a family, and they do care, and uh, and you can't engage it. Yeah, and so it just right. becomes toxic, and I just I just didn't want to be part of it anymore. So one of the one of the things that I'm curious about this repeating segment is to help other people think through some of these things when it comes to media, which could be social or entertainment or whatever. I'm curious. Because, again, Brian and I are both pastors, and we have a love-hate relationship with social media. And we've talked in previous segments about, like, uh, one man, one of the articles we read a couple of weeks ago was how pastors are fearful to speak out on any social issue at right. all for fear that they'll somehow get, you know, lumped into this category and people will be yep. misunderstood. Like, would you just give some maybe some coaching or some insight? They don't have to be pastors or even Jesus people necessarily. Like, how do you think through the decision to delete an account, to limit your access, to limit your exposure? Like, what are some maybe ways for people to think through like healthy social media? Well, uh, this may sound counterintuitive, but I do think that if you do decide to have a social media account or your church does, to actually not delete too many comments, to actually allow for some of this mm-hmm. dialogue. Oh, that's good. While at the same time teaching and encouraging how to do it. And so, um, I mean, I see it on Facebook and Twitter and whatever all the time as a signing motive. People get on and they say things as though they are fact. And they start name calling, you know, you hate America, you're a baby killer, mm-hmm. you, uh, yeah, right. you, um, you're racist, you're sexist, you're homophobic, sure. whatever it is. Right. They say that as fact, they assign motive. I think there's ways that as pastors, you can encourage your uh, constituents to a more healthy way of debate, a more healthy way mm. of discussion without deleting it altogether. And I know that sounds counterintuitive because I deleted yeah. my Twitter account, <laughs> but it's because I couldn't engage in the kind of dialogue that right, you right, can right. on Facebook and you can be more encouraging. So I think, I, I don't think it's baby out with the bathwater, but I do think um, knowing that it's important, knowing that it's where it's headed. I do think that, again, if you have some sort of social media specialist at your church who can get in the weeds with them and, mm. and say, hey, you know what? Maybe you could say that differently. Or, yeah. You can try that. And I think it can be used as a force for good. What really you, good. you said you've got kids. Uh, are your, I don't know how old your kids are, but what either are you now telling them about social media and what are they wanting? Or if they're younger, what do you think you will tell them? I, I struggle with this. I've got a, a freshman in high school. Right. And uh, my other kids are fifth grade and fourth grade. And just kind of navi- seeing that navigating scares me more than trying to navigate it myself. So oh, I'm just oh, sure. curious what, what your thoughts are there. Well, our kids, uh, our, our three oldest now have Instagram, mm-hmm. uh, not Snapchat. Not There's a few other ones that are harder to navigate and yeah. harder to control. Yeah, no so kidding. Instagram, um, I think the biggest thing that we've struggled with is teaching our kids how to not find their value in how many likes and comments they're getting. Yeah, right. Um, I think that that's the biggest thing is they start to see their Instagram account or their Twitter account or whatever as a test case for Mm. whether or not they are popular, whether or not they are valued, whether or not what they're saying means something. So that's the biggest thing. And again, you can't just delete it all. You have to Mm. teach them how to engage it. And so that's, that's the biggest thing is, you know, we, we watch what they're writing. We teach them, we say, listen, that was, Clearly, you were doing that thing where you're trying to get attention, mm. you know, where someone posts on Instagram, but I wish, I hope tomorrow goes better than it did today. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And then what, goes, what do you mean? What are you talking <laughs> yeah, about? Are you, are you okay? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's, the, it's the modern version of the unspoken prayer request. Yes. <laughs> like, uh, 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 so my prayer request is unspoken. But, uh, you we used to run that joke. This is off the subject of me and a buddy. We used to be like, another youth pastor would be like, 
Lord, for the 84 uh, unspoken <laughs> that we have here. We Give a specific we, number you, to you it. You know what they are. You, you know, know what they are. Cynical you right now there. is like, oh, I'm the unspoken <laughs> prayer request guy. Oh, well. <laughs> well, I know we didn't get the Game of Thrones or Field of Dreams or Avengers. But, but we do this every Monday. you're coming back. So stick around because Dallas Jenkins is going to be joining us for uh, hopefully many, many Mondays to come. But not just to learn more, to actually watch the first four episodes of The Chosen. You can go to thechosen.tv. We've had Dallas Jenkins, the director of The Chosen. Thank you so much for joining us again, man. Oh, I love it. I can't wait to come back. And uh, yes, we will talk about Field of Dreams. It's the 30th yes. anniversary. That's right. And uh, Avengers will be out by then, and so we can talk about that. I love it. Thanks so much, yeah. man. We really appreciate you. you and your perspective. You've yep. listened to The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life. Here's some weird stuff we found on the internet. Here's some more weird stuff we found on the web. Hey, friends. Welcome back to The Common Good. My name is Ian Simpkins, along with, alongside, sitting sitting near, in the same proximity as Brian Fromm. (laughs) And if you've been with us for any length of time, you know that we end the show with just some insanity. And I don't... It's fun. It is fun. It also just makes me worry about the world. Don't you ever feel like when we do these segments, sometimes it's like... How how are we all still alive, yes. just in general? Just again, as a disclaimer, uh, we did not find these stories. Our producers did. They give them to us sight unseen. We flip them over. We don't know what the stories are, and we don't know what the sound effects accompanied with them will be. So our surprise is legitimate. It is organic. Yep. And if, we're, uh, if it's terrible, then you can blame them. Okay, yep. so uh, I'll let you kick us off. I would love to. Africa. Ooh. We don't know. Oh, we will know where. Liberia. Snakes. <laughs> Snakes force Liberian President George Way out of office. Oh boy. Snakes have been found in Liberian President George Way's office, forcing him to work from his private residence. Press Secretary Smith Toby told the BBC that on Wednesday, two black snakes were found in the Foreign Affairs Ministry building. All staff have been told, the whole staff, it's just to make sure that crawling and creeping things get fumigated from the building. And uh, so, yes, they are not, they are working from home because of snakes. Oh, too bad. Snakes. Why did it have to be snakes? I knew that was <laughs> Was it that or snakes on a plane? I was going to say, you should start predicting these. Yep. Oh, Florida. Thank the Lord. Okay. Okay, so this one, just as a disclaimer, um, Deb Lawrence also posted this on my Facebook page, said you oh. should do this in your show. Really? So, yeah, that, that worked out perfectly. Road crew misspells school in Florida school crossing. It, the image is hilarious, too, because it spells school, S-C-O-H-O-L. <laughs> a road crew in Florida should get an F for spelling. A motorist on Thursday spotted the error, realizing the workers in Doral, Doral, Florida. Doral. It is. It is. But no. I probably didn't need to correct you for that. <laughs> I appreciate it. Uh, made a mistake. <laughs> Your dad's happy with me right now. <laughs> <laughs> this show has not been good for my ego at all. The city tweeted that the private contractor uh, has now corrected its work. Oh, I see the corrected photo. That looks terrible. Yes. It's not clear how like long the mistake was out. there. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the mistake was there in plain sight. Me fail English? That's impossible. That's impossible. That's impossible. So good. Oh, All right, boy. next one is Florida. Oh, double whammy. Florida man arrested for impersonating officer after pulling over undercover detective. <laughs> a man was arrested for impersonating a law enforcement officer after he unknowingly pulled over an undercover detective. Outstanding. It said the 26-year-old Matthew Joseph Aris decided to play cop, turning on his red and blue lights and pulling somebody over. However, he had no idea that the other driver was a real undercover Hillsborough <laughs> County Sheriff's <laughs> Office detective. 
They went on to state the deputies then did a real traffic stop on Eris. They found an airsoft pistol under his passenger seat. Oh, gosh. Eris is reportedly facing a charge for impersonating a law enforcement officer. Deputies said they are not sure how many times Eris has done this in the past. Excuse me. I have to go. Somewhere there is a crime happening. <laughs> okay, so little known fact, this is the show that we have a lot of my dad references. Uh, my dad's friend actually did that. Impersonated a cop and pulled over an undercover cop. Stop. True story. Did he get what happened to him? I am not quite sure. <laughs> <laughs> have you seen this friend? Was, I have not seen him. No. Well, you know, and this is maybe another story for another time. Um, I used to do this. A buddy of mine, we used to put red and white. Uh, red and blue lights in our car and, and pull people over. We would never get out of the car, but we would do that to be well, funny. Hold and, on, uh, you true. literally pull them over. Oh yeah, and then just drive away. And then we drive off and like laugh and smile, and they usually sort of shrug it off. You're, you're going to hell, man. <laughs> <laughs> Aren't you the one that admitted every single time we do a story about finding money? You're like, oh yeah, I'd keep oh, that money. What you That's just true. admitted to is a lot worse. Is it though? Yes. Text us if you think what I did is worse. <laughs> <laughs> Brian from keeping a bag of forty thousand dollars. Uh, All right, Indiana mastodon bones from the Ice Age discovered on a farm in southern Indiana. Growing Mm. up on their family's farm in Seymour, Indiana, Sue Nert. (laughs) Is that how I? Okay. I think you're good. And her brother would spend plenty of time playing in the field in the creek behind their home. They would often find arrowheads uh, that turned up as their father farmed the 100 acres or so of land. So when Nert's husband, Troy, received a call last week from an Indiana conservation officer regarding bones found behind the farm, She thought maybe they were Native American remains. Not quite. The bones belonged to something much older and much larger. A mastodon, a forest-dwelling creature that lived during the Ice Age and was similar in size to an elephant. But your scientists were so preoccupied with whether or not they could that they didn't stop to think if they should. (laughs) The bones included parts of a jaw along with a tusk, legs, teeth, and skull. That's incredible. Last one, Arizona. Floating retirement being offered by the cruise by a cruise line. Oh. If you're getting close to retirement, here's an idea. Storylines Cruise Line is catering specifically to baby boomer, boomers who would be open to retiring someplace better than an ocean view. How about living on the ocean? Yes, please. Storylines has already started selling its more than 600 cabins on a luxury cruise ship. It would make ex- a retirement exciting for the adventurous retiree. We came up with it together. We were at a family-style lunch at Christmas, and a lot of people talk about living at the sea. We come from real estate backgrounds. We start mid-next year from Europe and spending the first six months around the Mediterranean, the UK. The floating retirement homes will start in the low $300,000. I would do that. No kidding. I'll never let go. I promise. (laughs) That's awesome. That was the way to end it. That's good. Well, never a dull moment, man. I enjoy doing this, this with is you. Great. We hope that you will join us tomorrow from 4 to 6 p.m. right here on The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life. General Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, 
and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.